Well hit ball to deep right field. Judge is back and it's gone! Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with an opposite field three-run homer. And the Blue Jays are out to a 5 to nothing lead. What is going on? It's uh, The Letters, brought to you by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Ben Nicholson-Smith, Arden Zwelling, outside of Yankee Stadium prior to Game 2. Actually, might be during Game 2 yeah. at this point uh, of this Blue Jays-Yankees series in the Bronx. We got a chat with Ariel Hawani that we had earlier that will be coming up later in the podcast. You know him from MMA coverage from the Ariel Hawani show, the MMA Hour, various other uh, platforms. Had a great chat with him about the Expos, about the Blue Jays about some parallels between fighting and baseball so uh, look forward to that later on in the podcast but gotta start off Ben by talking a little Blue Jays just kind of checking in with this team because stuff keeps happening Jose Barrios goes out on uh, on Thursday night gets into a little trouble at times has some traffic around him on the base pass but powers through it and has kind of one of these really good Jose Barrios outings that we've seen this year and that have been interspersed by really bad Jose Barrios outings. Exactly. And so because we've seen this before, I'm not going to stand here and say, all right, like it's fixed. Jose Barrios is now back to being that number three starter that the Toronto Blue Jays need him to be. I mean, that would clearly be a leap that Barrios hasn't quite earned given the trajectory of his season this year. Now, when you're facing the Yankees and you have Aaron Judge in this lineup at this park on the road, 40,000 people, he did a really good job to be able to deliver the kind of start that he did. So full credit to Jose Barrios. To me, as I look forward with him, I think for him to kind of turn that page and get back to where he probably should be, given his stature and significance to this organization, I think they probably need to see something like for the next five resembling what we just saw it's funny because all year it has been just the most peaks and valleys season for jose brios like when he's really good he's really really good when he's really bad it's like eight runs and four innings there really hasn't been anything in between like it's very seldom that you see that like five and dive two to three runs from him it's like either i'm going six and seven and i'm only allowing a run or two or i'm giving up eight over four so it's going to kind of be interesting to see if you can find some more consistency or if that oscillation is going to continue we were kind of bantering yesterday about whether you would start ross stripling in the third game of a wild card series we arrived at that being the guy do you still feel that way or yeah. is jose barrios earning his uh, his way in yeah with jose barrios i would certainly uh still have more faith in ross stripling to give you a steady five or six innings with barrios not quite there with that consistency so um, you know, just my personal opinion at this point. And, and look, so is Barrios in your like bullpen for a wild card series? No, because you still for a wild card series. Yeah, maybe. But here's the likely thing: one way or another, you are going to need four starters, right? Because yeah. someone's going to be pitching game one of the division series if you make it that far. The way the Jays are going right now, someone's going to have to pitch game 162 against Baltimore in a game that might have huge ramifications. So essentially, you need four, if not five, starters pitching games that are of a huge significance. So, you know, Barrios, to me, is one of those starters. Whether you sequence him, Stripling, you know, it's almost besides the point because they're going to need four guys. This is a realization we kind of came to a couple weeks ago. 
but you really do need four because whoever's not in that wild card might be games one and five of division series. Well, yeah, you think about the games that you need to get you into the postseason and then some kind of the weird off-day structure this year with the playoff schedule. We're going to see different sort of rotation outlays this year, I think, than we're accustomed to in the past. Also, I have to talk about George Springer, obviously, who, I mean, talk about ups and downs to a season. Five hits on Thursday night. Looks like the George Springer of old. We show up here on Friday, side of the lineup because he fouled the ball off of his knee. What do you make of it? As you say, it's so many ups and downs. Like, he looks so good on the field in that game to be able to give them five hits. He's got eight hits, nine hits since coming back from the injured list. His first pinch hit of his career, which also happened to be the 1,000th hit of his career. Do you think that's ever happened where you've gotten your 1,000th hit and also the first pinch hit of your career? I can't imagine. I would be stunned. And so it's been a great week for George Springer uh, to be able to put that together and then fouls it off the knee. He's out of the lineup again. Now, we know that for the Blue Jays to get to where they want to go, they need a healthy Springer. They don't need one who's out there trying to force it at this point in the season. So I, I think, you know, it obviously makes sense, but it just feels like deja vu for the Jays with the number of things that Springer has had to deal with in a pretty short period of time. He's not getting younger. He's not playing an easy defensive position. So it's a delicate balancing act for this team as they try to get the most out of their most expensive player. It's my only question with George Springer's availability. Because when he's on the field, he's George Springer, right? Like, no matter how compromised he is, he still produces like George Springer. Look at the numbers, right? Like, look at the season that he's having. Like, if you look at it, you know, coming into today, he had like 93 games played. But, I mean, OPS plus, weighted runs created plus, the power, the exit velocities, all of that stuff. Everything is right where it should be except for games played. And that's really been the case for him in his Blue Jays tenure. Like, I think when he, the Blue Jays signed George Springer, they expected, yeah, I mean, he's probably going to miss some time, right? Like, he's an outfielder in his early to mid-30s. Like, you, And he had an injury history prior to this. I think they probably anticipated somewhere in the 130, 135-ish games per year range from George Springer. But they've gotten less than that to this point. They, they really have. And so going forward, I think that if they get 30 out of the next what is it 44 games remaining? 45 including Fridays including so Fridays. 44 so after Friday if they get two-thirds of those games regular season and maybe more importantly if he's ready to go for the playoffs and healthy or healthy ish at that point in the season then I think that's like an a minus outcome for this team of course you could do better but you know I think even if you get two-thirds to help them get to where they need to go and arrive there in in good shape I mean I don't know if you could ask for much more than that. It's funny, he came into Friday with 93 games played, 45 left. Say he plays like 37 of those. That's 130 games. Yeah. I think that's an okay outcome, honestly, yeah. with the yeah. George Springer, like, and with the way he's producing. If it was 130 games of like 105 weighted runs created plus, and the exit velos aren't there, that would be another thing, you know? If he wasn't drawing walks anymore, if he was striking out and swinging and missing a ton. But no, all that stuff is like of George Springer standard. It's just the Blue Jays finding a way to get him to that game's played total that they were counting on. It's funny, right? Because like he could play in 37 of the next 45 games. That's possible. Maybe some of those are pinch hit appearances as we saw uh, just earlier in this week. You know, it's not necessarily starting them all. And then you get to whatever it is, 130 games, even 125. That's solid. I mean, it's, it's not your 100th percentile outcome, but it's probably your 45th and that works like that plays with George Springer unfortunately because you know to go back to Barrios for a second or Kikuchi for that matter who made his relief debut uh, you know in in the opener here at Yankee Stadium 
the percentiles that you're getting from them this year, this is like a 20th percentile outcome for Barrios. And I would say a 20th percentile outcome for Kikuchi. Do you have any thoughts on Kikuchi after that debut out of the bullpen? I think that there is a there's a day coming. It's going to be at like Fenway Park. It's going to be the 11th inning. Mitch White has like gone. He's five and dived right, and then you ran through a bunch of relievers to get you into the 11th. As the ball on the 11th, and you're protecting like a one or two run lead. Ghost Runner starting on second, and you say Kikuchi's coming in to get you really big outs in like a game that you need. And you were trying not to go to him, right? Like you weren't putting him in any of those prior innings to get you to the 11th. But it's like I saw on the pod yesterday. I really think you say Kikuchi's going to be getting some big outs for this team. Maybe not because they choose to put him in high leverage spots, but because they're going to get into a spot where they don't have a choice. Yeah, and that's entirely possible. If if that happens, then I wouldn't be shocked. But you know, to answer the original question that you posed there, I I don't view things differently after seeing what we saw in that opener. And to to be honest, like I don't know exactly where your threshold would be for how far along he would have to go um, is before you would change your opinion. But Blake Murphy asked me this earlier uh, today on his show, Blue Jays Talk Plus, and to me it was like he would have to go no walks, zero walks, for at least, I don't know, 15 innings, something like that. I, I don't know where you would put the line, but he's not close to that right now. Time now for Major League Beer for Major League Baseball, brought to you by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Are we going to crap on some more Yankees legends today? <laughs> not, not today. Not with all these Yankees Babe fans. Ruth yesterday. Who is it today? DiMaggio, maybe. Not as I'm literally surrounded by <laughs> Derek Yankees Jeter. fans. I'm not going to do that. Uh, all right. Let me propose this to you because the Kikuchi thing kind of got me thinking. And I'm not th- saying that, like, you say Kikuchi has 75 grade stuff. But he has really, really good stuff. Yep. Doesn't have great command, right? So you can have one of these two pitchers as a project. You're getting them. I'm going to give you six years of control yep. over them. They're the same age, same size, same handedness, whatever. The only difference between them is one of them has 75 grade stuff, 35 grade command. Yep. The other one has 75 grade command, yep. 35 grade stuff. Great Who question. do you want? Great question. Uh, to me, I would go, honestly, with the command pitcher. And, well, can I ask? Oh, man. I guess I've already, I've already tipped my hand. So I'm going to stick with my answer here. I'm going to assume that you can develop this pitcher. We don't know how old this pitcher is. We don't know exactly are they a college pitcher, a high school pitcher. Maybe they're already a pro. But I will still, regardless, take the pitcher with the command because it is it is just hard to deal with someone who can't put it where they want to. And I think there is room to develop a little bit more stuff in the major leagues. You could point to a Ross Stripling, who we spoke to on our previous episode, the changeup. Some people might have graded that as a 35 pitch when he went pro. Now it's getting swings and misses against major leaguers. Shane Bieber, there's another great example. When he was drafted, he was not viewed as someone who had frontline stuff. Then he goes out and wins a Cy Young. So you can develop that, I think, easier. Um, I don't know where you land on this one, but for me, I would take the command. As long as the stuff is, I mean, 35 stuff isn't nothing. It's something you can work with. I think you have a very good AAA starter who is going to get up to your big league team and get absolutely shelled. Yep. Like, and I think that he is going to locate his 35-grade stuff in the zone, and these big league hitters are going to hit it 5 million miles. Give me the stuff. Give me the stuff, because I can work with that. Because, honestly, maybe the worst-case outcome here is that he's just an effectively wild reliever, right? And he's a guy who's coming out of my bullpen throwing absolute gas. The stuff's playing up even more now because it's out of my bullpen. And yeah, there's going to be some times where he can't find the zone, and there's going to be some times where he walks two guys. 
but because of how devastating the stuff is and playing up out of the bullpen and the spots that he's in, he's going to get trigger-happy hitters who are going to swing at stuff, they're going to chase and expand off the plate, and it's just going to be so devastating that he's going to get these ugly, funky swings. He's going to find a way to be effective for me in short bursts. Right, and, and I mean, the, the counter to my own argument here is that this guy could just be Casey Lawrence. You know, and that's someone who appears in the major leagues and has some utility, but he's not going to be a core player for you on a on a playoff team. Um, so, uh, you know, I can see that side of it, but I would still take the command. All right. Uh, after this, Ariel Helwani is going to join us to talk all things Blue Jays, Expos, Montreal, UFC, and more. After this, Ariel Helwani. Ariel Hawani's with us of the Ariel Hawani show, the yes. MMA Hour, various other ventures, and a Blue Jays fandom. Yes. Caught you at batting practice yesterday, like a kid in a candy store. Oh, my God. I mean, what was kind of the interaction that, that you're going to take away from that? Kid in a candy store is actually an understatement. Yeah. I was so I was telling a friend of mine this morning, I'm like, you know, I get to meet some pretty cool people in the fight world, the Conor McGregor's of the world. I felt like I was on cloud nine there because for me, baseball reminds me of when I was a kid going to the Big O, Expos games, begging the likes of Barry Bonds to sign my ball and Ricky Henderson and all the great Expos of yesteryear and just being there with my kids and their first time getting that close. And uh, I'm friends with Alec Manoa's agent and that's who set that up. And so Alec came over and hung out with us for a few minutes and I don't need to tell you guys, he's just as cool off camera as he is on camera and so that was a huge thrill uh i was just i loved it i, I love being I'm, just, I'm thankful that you guys have me here right now so that i could just take this all <laughs> in because i don't get to do this often well tell us about that interaction with alec manoa because uh he is a big presence yes. i think physically and even with the personality um what did you take away from that interaction with him my gut first of all he is a tank i feel oh, like yeah. he's like a linebacker he'd be cutting oh, yeah. to 265 he, absolutely sure. yeah. and then some um what a down-to-earth nice guy my wife, who's in the jewelry business, guessed that his necklace cost around 150 k which was pretty interesting wow. that he was just rocking that. Uh, I know he likes to wear, you know, the... Sweating in it, just sweating, Yeah, just yeah. like chilling out. Um, I just couldn't, you know, when I used to go to Expos games back in the day, so I used to be a part of something called the Desjardins Fan Club. And the Desjardins Fan Club was for the bank, Desjardins. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It might just be a yes. Quebec bank. And my brother and I signed up for it because if you were a member of the fan club, you get to go to eat early at Rusty Staub's restaurant at the Big O. We didn't care to eat. We would order a Coke, down it, and then we got to be first at BP, and we would go hang out on the visitor side and talk to all the guys. More often than not, they were not very nice. There were a few <laughs> you know, exceptions. Tony Gwynn was like a sweetheart of a guy, and, and he would stand there and talk to us and joke with us. I was wearing an Astros hat one time. He's like, I'm not signing an autograph for a kid with an Astros hat, so I threw it on the field so I could get his autograph. That's the kind of guy he was. Manoa, it reminded me of that. And the funny thing about it was, I didn't know this, Jeff didn't tell me this. He's a big MMA fan. Yeah. So he was asking me about UFC 278 on Saturday. He was asking me about Jorge Masvidal. I actually reached out to Masvidal's manager today, and they're going to link up to train together in the offseason. So uh, I didn't know he even knew who I was or what MMA was. So it was really cool when you find out that one of the guys that you love is actually a fan of the sport, too. A couple too. Miami guys. Yes, Masvidal exactly. 305. I, there's a lot of ball players that are MMA fans. Josh Donaldson, yes. Carlos Correa. Yep. Are there any fighters who are like closet baseball fans? that you know uh, of? Because no, okay. I don't know if that's a two-way street or not. Okay, I'll tell you one who you'd be surprised about. 
Daniel Cormier. Really? I'll call DC on like a Tuesday morning at 7 and he's playing MLB The Show. And he always plays with the Giants and he's like playing some kid online yeah. who has no idea that it's him and talking smack to the kid. <laughs> he's actually a big baseball fan, Bay Area guy. He lives in San Jose. So that's one who comes to mind. I would say that a lot of them are more like football fans. Right. Uh, a lot of them are pro wrestling fans, some basketball fans. It's tough these days with baseball. There's not as much crossover. Yeah. But I'm actually very surprised at how many baseball fans are MMA fans. Like the first time I met Donaldson at the event in Toronto and we remain friends, like he knows his stuff. He loves it. Correa, Correa could be an MMA analyst. No yeah. joke. Like this guy could break it down impressively well. Um, and so there's guys like that who I've met along the way. And uh, Manoa was telling me that he's a fan. I know Bichette when they were in Montreal a couple years ago, took a picture with GSP and wrote something nice about him. So it's very cool when our little sport that we feel like no one cares about gets that kind of recognition. Yeah, it's so cool. And I think, you know, for you to hear it from the other side, your kind of uh, memories of those players going through the big O, you mentioned a couple of them so far, like Tony Gwynn, Barry Bonds, Ricky Henderson. Who else stands out from that era? Because for me personally, that's an era where I was like obsessed with those players, you know, had their cards, like obviously tracking their stats. And so it's kind of fun to have those names come back up. So who, who else oh would be God. in that group for you? So, I mean, so obviously I was an Expos fan. Uh, my favorite Expo of all time, I don't even know if you guys will remember him. You might because you're like hardcore. Lenny Webster. Do you remember Lenny Webster? Honestly, no. You don't. No. Lenny Webster was Jeff Facero's personal catcher. He would only play every five days, and he would only play when Facero was pitching. You remember Jeff Facero, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. And he was number 25. He ended up playing for the Indians, started with the Twins. There was something about him that I just loved. And so that was my guy. He'd give me his bat. He'd give me his batting glove. Like we kind of, Because no one was asking Lenny Webster for anything back then. But because the Expos were always around, I would go to the visiting side of things. And so I've had great interactions, like Bonds in particular. So I would go early, and I remember one time he was actually signing. He didn't always sign. And I had my Sharpie, and you want them to sign in a certain spot in the middle, the sweet spot. And I, and I remember him taking my ball, and he started to sign. Not only did he not sign with the Sharpie, he was signing with a blue pen. And that's just, like, bad. You don't want right. an autographed blue pen on a baseball. And I said, Mr. Bonds, do you mind if you use my pen and sign in the middle? And he looks up at me. He goes, who's signing the autograph here, kid? Me or you? I'll sign it wherever I want. Wow. I was like, wow. I remember one time my hands were, like, over the dugout like this. And Ken Caminiti, may he rest in peace, took his bat and smashed it. And almost tried to hit my hands because I was, like, leaning over too much. So I've had some bad interactions. Whoa. But I've also had some really great Whoa. ones. And the Tony Gwynn one probably like was the greatest because it was Tony Gwynn in his prime yeah. just joking with us. It was so amazing. Cool. So when is baseball coming back to Montreal? Uh, you Can you answer me, this? When are you going to stop being used as a pawn? You know, when are, when Thank is, you for saying that. When Thank is it going to be that. legit? Listen, I spoke to the great Stephen Brunt yeah. back in October and he told me that he was so confident that this was going to be a done yeah. deal. And I was like, Stephen, if you're telling me this, God bless. Griffintown, the whole deal. I don't believe any of it. No. I don't believe... I don't, there's not a 1% part of my soul that believes this. And it's very disheartening because I know, and you guys know, Montreal is a baseball town. And you've been to those preseason games. Yeah. And I know it's just two games. And I know it's just... A, I've been there when the Big O was rocking in the 90s. The problem was the stadium. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's closed. There's only three nice months out of the year. In my lifetime, I don't think it's going to happen, sadly. No. It makes me very sad. And that's why my kids are Blue Jays fans now because I couldn't do that to them. But I tell you, man, I, w I would take an O in 162 season just to, to see that team back again because I really did love them. Like, I was a season ticket holder. Right. People joke that there aren't Expos fans. Yeah. There were Expos fans. We existed. 
And it, it just bumps me out. And I also believe if they would have just stayed around maybe three or four more years with MLB Network and the revenue sharing and all that, they could have survived. Unfortunately, they did. Well, exactly. I mean, you look at some markets like, I don't know, Cleveland or Pittsburgh. Those cities from a market size standpoint are not bigger than Montreal. Even St. Louis, which we kind of think of as a big market team. That is a small city. Montreal is a big city. I mean, I don't, I don't have to tell you or anyone listening or watching, but it's a big city. And so it is a shame. And I would love to see it back. But you guys maybe, went to those games, city. right? The yeah, preseason yeah, yeah. games, the spring uh, training I did games, a few times. to the one in Montreal. Right, yeah. yeah, we did podcasts yeah. there. Exactly, yeah. we did. Did you do the one where Vladdy hit the uh, the walk off? Hell yeah! Oh man! Oh my! Get up, ball! Get up, ball! Right on cue! What a way to cap off the spring! He's in Montreal, where his father made his name, wearing his number. He comes up with two outs in the bottom of the ninth inning, and the crowd doesn't want to leave. Hits a home run, and they want a curtain call. That literally like got me emotional watching yeah. that, watching him do that, where his dad did the it. The stadium shouldn't have baseball in it right now. It I probably agree. shouldn't have had baseball in it back then. Like, where were your seats? Like, where were your tickets? Back in the day? Yeah. Third base seasons? side. Like, just, like, lower level and always right. third base for some reason. I just like the vantage point. Right. They were the so best. So you were pointing at the, at the mound. Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it was great, man. Right. I was there. I remember Hideo Nomo. I think it was in 96. We were a Sunday night baseball game in his rookie year, and he was on fire. And, uh, you know, ESPN never came to Montreal for games, so that was really cool. I mean, I saw some really – there was a series against the Phillies in 93. Will Cordero hit a, a line drive over to the third base line, and we were neck and neck with the Phillies back then when we were trying to make the playoffs in 93. And then, of course, in 94, you know, we were robbed of that. I went to those 94 games. Uh, Cliff Floyd hitting the home run off of Greg Maddox, iconic moment. Yeah, like I could sit here and talk to you guys <laughs> for four hours about the Expos. Well, it just feels like open air stadium yeah. in a young up and coming area. It could be Griffin Town, it could be wherever in Montreal. Like there could be such an amazing atmosphere around. Oh my that. god, Montreal in the summer. Montreal in like, the summer is the best. Unbeatable. It is. I mean, look at the F one. They come yeah. in June. Uh, the Alouettes have done great open air. They went to McGill. It would be perfect. Can I tell you something? Seventeen years ago this week was one of the last Expos games I went to. It was uh, in two thousand. What are we now? No, sorry, 19 years ago. It was in 2003, and I don't know if I could say this here, but basically, I was a very straight-laced kid. My friends weren't, and a friend of mine always wanted me to partake in something that could be deemed illegal, if you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And it's no longer illegal. No in, longer illegal. I just don't want to get anyone in trouble. Yeah. And, he, and so what happened was, Expos were down 3 nothing to the Giants. Brad Wilkerson comes up, bottom of the ninth, two outs. And I said to my friend, if he hits a walk-off grand slam, I will do this with you. Walk off Grand Slam. It's the last time that I ever did that, if you get what I'm saying. That's amazing. I just love the names, too. Brad Wilkerson and Will Cordero and Jeff Becerra. I mean, such a great history for the Montreal Expos. And even just bringing it back a little bit is awesome. I think the Jays could do a much better job of celebrating their history. But when you you. think about Canada and baseball, there really is so much history there to celebrate. Thank you. Uh, A lot of Expos fans will not root for the Jays because they voted to contract the Expos, if you recall, in 2002, Mm -hmm. and they hold that against them. And I can understand that. I thought that was a pretty crappy move (laughs) on their part, if I'm being honest. That being said, uh, I love them because of Laddie. I love what they're doing. I was rooting for Anthopolis. I wanted them to win in 2015, all that stuff. And it's Canada's only team. And so it's it's way more fun to be a fan of a team than not. So you're a Blue Jays fan now. And people know you now, independent Helwani. You don't yes. hold back. Yes. You know, no holds barred. Oh, yeah. All right. What do you got? Let's get on the nose. Yes. What's yes. your most, like, 
inflammatory. That's probably the wrong word. Like, what is your most like staunch Blue Jays opinion right now? Maybe oh. that goes against the trend. That maybe is outside the box. I'll you tell know? you what. Like, they're missing a leader. Yeah, they don't have a leader. And I don't know if that's a hot take per se. But uh, I was never a fan of the Montoyo uh, hiring, with all due respect. Uh, a good friend of mine, his name is Jason Tackefman. He used to be the GM of the Vancouver Canadians, the single A team, right. and knew Mr. Schneider when he was there uh, coming up and speaks very highly of him. And so I'd, I'd like to support him, and I think that he could be that guy, and I like his sort of you know loud, boisterous attitude. But in the clubhouse, as far as the players go, who's the leader? Who's the voice? Who's the guy that's going to tie them together? I don't know. And that's what I think they're missing. I'd say it's... I'd say it's George Springer. Is he I was going to say the same moment? thing. But yeah. is he that guy? Is he truly yeah. that guy? Well, With all due respect. And I, and I love this. I love the takes that you're bringing here. This is great. I think so to the extent that we can know, which is limited, um, I, I think he is. I think that he is consistent. And in baseball, I think the consistency is essential for any kind of leader. But Springer, at least in my interactions with him, he just seems very consistent day to day, but with the energy, with the energy. So, I, you know, I, I'm not saying there's not another level or that there isn't something to what you're saying, but I do have a good impression of Springer. It's an interesting blend, right? Because it's a very young team when you think about it. Guys, like you mentioned Vlad and Bo, these guys are like 23, right? right like, right. you know, Adley Rutschman is older than right. those guys. Vlad's already been one trip through arbitration, right? Uh, yeah. Adley Rutschman's in like his fourth month yeah. in baseball. So at, at this level, so like it is a weird blend of those very young players, Alondra Kirk as well, with guys like Springer, with guys like Kevin Gosman, who's been around the sun a few times in this league as well. So it's like, I, I agree with you that like it would be tough to isolate one individual as that is a leader. But I don't know if that's baseball at the same time, though, that, right? It's fair. In those expo scenes you're talking about, was there yeah. one guy who was the leader? I think in baseball, it's more of a collective Fair, although everyone respected Felipe so much, right? Yeah. They had that voice, right? They had that guy who had been around for so long in the game. And I don't know, obviously Schneider's been around, but not at that level. Right. And so I'm not trying to... You know, I'm a huge Buffalo Bills fan as well. Yeah. And the same type of stuff that people were saying about the Bills going into last season, they were saying about the Blue Jays going to this season. Favorites, preseason, all that stuff. And I wondered if at one point it was getting to be a lot where they were starting to buy their own hype and starting to, you know, puff their chest out. Like, we've already won. You guys haven't won anything, right? Yeah. And it reminded me of the Bills. And the Bills at one point, I don't know if you guys follow football, but, yeah. like, they had that rough stretch in November and it kind of reminds you of the rough stretch that they went on but then they turned it around last minute now the Bills have Josh Allen who's Josh Allen here right well they also have Stefan Diggs right isn't sure. it a few guys I just think that's like a weird hockey thing sure that leads into other sports coverage or it's like who's the captain okay so if you have who's Springer the who's the, the next guy I think Kevin Gosman's a leader absolutely I think that like at times Vladimir Guerrero Jr. by his actions and by his performance is a leader not necessarily the most vocal guy honestly in the clubhouse i don't right. think but i think that on the field in big moments in the batter's box i hope actions, so. he's a leader you, you would know? know better than i would his dad was never vocal as well yeah and it's, it's going to be interesting too because one way or another this is the time for that leadership to show right you've got 45 games left and we were talking to ross stripling about this yesterday kind of i the, heard it the, oh very nice um but you know this idea that they did buy into their own hype, right? And that they kind of got ahead of themselves a little bit. And now it's time for them collectively or individually to find a way to actually step up and, and make the most of their potential on a granular level. Like not 162 games at once or like Stripling was saying, whatever it is, hitting a five-run homer but really trying to find ways to just advance it inning by inning and play by play. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of pressure on them because what was the narrative at the end of last season? We'll be back next season. 
We're not going to make the same mistake. We're not going to leave it for the last weekend. We're not going to let someone else control our destiny. And now it feels like we're going in the direction of potentially needing other people to help control their destiny. I would be lying if I didn't say that I was disappointed in Bichette this year. I don't love his body language. It feels like he doesn't have that joie de vivre, that esprit that you need and that he maybe had. And I don't know what's going on there. And you guys probably know a lot more behind the scenes. I'm just speaking as a fan. But I I miss that out of him. And I'd love to see them, you know, somehow figure it out to get him back. Barrios hasn't been great, but yesterday was he he was tremendous. Yeah. Uh, So there's 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 a lot to like. There's a lot that's frustrating. They go on these runs and you're like, that's the team, right? <laughs> and then they're like, can you guys score? What's going on? So well, so it's Friday here at Yankee Stadium. You mentioned Barrios on yeah. Thursday who had that really strong outing here at Yankee Stadium. But also, like, I thought showed something when he got into trouble, mm-hmm. right? When he, you know, he's got runners on and when he's walking, guys, there have been times this year where that's when it spirals. And that's where it goes down the drain. And he pulled himself out of that. That's something yep. Yusei Kikuchi hasn't been able to do no. this year where things go bad. They've gone really bad, and yeah. he's out of the game. Jose Brios was able to sort of resuscitate his outing. I think that was a big step for him, confidence-wise even. There's a bit of a parallel to fighting there, right? Yeah. Where, like, for a fighter, you have to go into the octagon with ultimate, utmost confidence. It's just you in there, right? And you have to, like you said, believe your own hype yep. a little bit. But you can't believe it too much, right? Like, if you're Kamaru Usman, <laughs> I mean, you might be pound-for-pound pound best, but... You also have to go in there and like execute fundamentals against Leon Edwards. Like right. you have to have a game plan to execute that. I think it's kind of similar with baseball. With like Jose Barrios needs to be really confident in those moments and believe his own hype. Believe I'm Jose friggin' Barrios, and I have five years of being the most consistent guy in baseball to prove it. But then also execute a curveball and execute a two seamer. Whereas earlier in the year, maybe that execution was missing in those times when things were going. I well. couldn't agree more. I'll add two things to that. I actually, it's funny you bring up Usman. I actually think he's believing his own hype too much right now. And I think he's ripe for the taking if Edwards is able to execute the game plan on Saturday night. I love, and I was thinking of this, I was listening to your interview this morning walking my dog with Stripling, and I loved what he said about when Schneider went to the mound and asked him if he wanted, you know, to keep going. And I think that's really cool on Schneider's part. And I thought it was really cool on Stripling's part to say, I'm done. Because there's a lot of fighters who wouldn't say that, and then they go out and they make a huge mistake. Now, of course, he could walk off. He has a great moment. You can't just leave a fight when you're no longer there. But to be that confident and say, you know what? I trust the guys behind me to take this home, and I don't got any more. And in fact, I'd be a detriment to the team if I stayed, even though my ego probably wants to stay. Actually, it was a really impressive thing that you don't hear a lot of athletes say. It was really insightful, too, to hear him say he was anxious coming to that. He was feeling nerves because of how the team's been performing lately. And there is kind of a divide between, I think there's certain fighters who go in and are like, I'm the SHIT, I'm the best, whatever. There's other guys who will admit, I'm always scared. Dominic Cruz admits, yep. I'm always scared when I go in there. I always feel that anxiety. Yep. Even a guy like him, who's like the vet of all GSP. Vets. GSP would tell me he would throw up yeah. backstage before his fights. So I, I actually think that makes them more likable and more relatable as opposed to someone who's like, nah, I was just chilling, you know? I was like, what? I'd be crapping in my pants if I was going into a cage with someone else. Well, because of course you're feeling that anxiety and those nerves, whether you're going into an octagon in Utah or whether you're going out on this mound for 40,000 New Yorkers, of which you are one, uh, yelling at you and screaming profanities I was not yelling profanities at anyone. You were... uh, I was cheering. (laughs) Cheering very annoyingly. you were amongst them, Yes, I was amongst them. I mean, you were looking out at the... I think you were sitting over I was sitting over there, yes. I got a great shot. Do you see my video of Vladdy? I'm just filming him. And then he hits a ho- the homer. Oh, wow. yeah. And I completely lost it. My video work was horrendous. 
Hassan made fun of me on Twitter, said I was a jabroni for my video work because I was totally filming off there because I was right. watching him round the bases. But I couldn't believe that I actually first time I ever see a Guerrero family member hit a home run in person since 2003. Wow. Pretty amazing, awesome. right? Yeah. And it is it is so telling, like, you know, the amount of pressure that these guys are under. And you mentioned Bichette before, maybe not seeming as though he's enjoying this season to the extent that he has before potentially and what a tough thing that must be for these guys to kind of navigate when you think about okay you have this a massive amount of pressure for yourself for your team you have to produce and then if you're having fun okay great it's all coming naturally but then if you're not then all of a sudden it can get really hard i'm sure that's true basically across any sport but certainly in baseball and imagine doing it in 2022 with podcasts with social media, with Twitter, with people literally being able to DM you and tell you you suck. You, you know, like w when I see sometimes a fighter, you know, a fighter loses like a dom and then he'll come back a couple days later on social and be like, I'm sorry, guys, I'll be back. Just figure things out. And then you're like reading the comments. It's like, man, I had you in my parlay yeah. and you screwed. And I was like, wow, I can't imagine. You know, I can't imagine. I know they get paid and I know they're famous. I can't imagine being a player who has to play 162 and then listen to that because you know he hears it. You know they're all on their phones. You know they read it. Am I right, though? Has yes. he lost that oh. something? Like well, with Bo, um, I, I do think that I, I think it's been a stressful season for him. Right. I, I think that's accurate. I think that, and he said it. He said that, you know, realistically, this season's been a struggle for him offensively. And you've seen even defensively certain moments where he struggled, you know, with Vladdy and that pop-up. I know it's a while back now, but there have been moments where that frustration has showed. Um, and the season's long. It's not over. There could be a point where he gets to kind of release and enjoy. But it, I think it has been a hard season. He puts a lot of pressure on himself, though. Really? Because this is the family business, yeah. right? And he's, in a way, been raised to be a ball player, right? Like, when he was 12, 13, he was with his dad at Coors Field, right. like, hitting bombs, homeschooled. Most of the day was spent working out at, like, they, you know, uh, Bo or Dante had, like, a warehouse nearby that he bought, outfitted it with, you know, batting cages and all this stuff. Wow. And so they would just train baseball every day played elite you know elite baseball growing up travel ball in the draft knew exactly where he wanted to go and where he didn't want to go right wow. like teams he wasn't going to go to he wanted to be a blue jay because of how they were going to develop him and bring him along so he's put a lot of pressure on himself to get to this level and to succeed at this level and the other day when he's hitting seventh in the blue jays batting order i don't think in his life he's ever hit seventh wow. at any level he has been the best player on every team he's been on last year sort of included right next to right. Vlad yeah, and next course. to Simeon so I think that facing that failure this year and not being his best would have to be a serious mental hurdle to overcome I, I still believe in him I joke with my friend uh, JD Bunkus that he jumped off the Vladdy bandwagon a couple years ago when I would go on his show with Ben Ben Ennis and they would be like oh he's too big he said that I was like Jesus Christ can you guys the guy's like 21 years old all right He'll figure it out. Right. Now look at him. He's the man. He's the face of baseball, if you ask me. He should be the MVP. I don't care what Aaron Judge is doing. And I believe in Bo, <laughs> but I, I just think it's been a tough year for him. But, I mean, how, how old is he? 20? Bo's 23, 24. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he'll be fine. I hope, he, I hope he sticks around. I hope they don't give up on him. I really do like him. And uh, I love this team. I, they're such a likable team. Like, Kirk is so much fun. Springer, even though I was talking, like, I, I really do like him. Um you know, uh, Goriel, all these do um, Jordan Romano is the man. I love yeah. him. He gave my kids an autograph yesterday. So now I'm a fan for life. They're a likable team. I just feel like there's some, and I, w I agree. I think I was listening to you guys. Like I was hoping for something at the deadline. I know they did a couple moves. There just wasn't that little panache. Pan great, great word. Yeah. Great. There was that one thing that I was, 
craving that I didn't get out of the deadline. I feel like Mitch White's going to be solid for yeah. this team going forward. Anthony Bass, really underrated. Zach Pop's sinker is unhittable. Um, and whom I forget, Whit Merrifield. Honestly, been a little bit of a strange debut for Whit yeah. Merrifield. Striking out a lot. Not what you expect know. from him. Could have used, used one more. Yeah, could have used yeah. one. We got Jackie Bradley Jr. Got his autograph yesterday. Yeah. That was exciting. I don't know what he's going to do. Right. But um, I, yeah, just something. There was something that I was... Ho- I don't know what it was. Like, obviously, I knew they weren't going to get Soto. I didn't believe any of that stuff. You talk about being used as leverage. I feel like the Blue Jays get used as leverage. They do. Freddie Freeman. Oh, yeah, we get all excited. Then he goes... To- the Soto stuff. I never believed Soto was coming. Syndergaard no? and Iglesias. Yes. That was leverage. Yes. Yeah, the Blue Jays that were used in me. that. Mm-hmm. That annoys me very much. Ariel, I could talk to you forever. I've I been know, getting the wrap up for about 10 minutes Oh, now, really? So Come on. From, no one's kicking us out. I know. Let's <laughs> talk about the 94 Expos. August 12th. It was amazing. What, what are they going to do? What are the Yankees going to do to us? They're going to do nothing to us. Do they we know got all this the power. Yeah. yeah. Come on. They love us here. But thank you so much. Thank you. Your success has been amazing to watch. Oh, JD and Ben are never going to last hear the end of it that you dropped their names in this. Uh, I mean, yeah, I know. <laughs> I had to. I couldn't make a show this uh, this past week, so I feel bad. So that's my I'm sorry to you, JD Bunkus. All right. He's Thanks Ariel so Hawani. Thanks a lot. All right. That's going to be it for us today, but lots more coming from the Bronx all weekend. Want to thank our producers, Nick Andrade and Christian Ryan. They are doing yeoman's work out here and making this all look great and sound great. So a huge thanks to them. He's Ben Nicholson Smith. I'm Arden Zwelling. You can get more at the letters at sportsnet.ca. Talk to you next time on at the letters.